You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. And I am Janice Baker, sitting in for Dr. Stephen Edelman. Exercise is essential for controlling blood sugar levels, but the benefits also present a set of unique challenges to athletic diabetes patients. Joining us to discuss the relationship between exercise and diabetes is certified specialist in sports dietetics, certified diabetes educator, and founder of Proactive Nutrition in Kirkland, Washington, Sally Hara. Ms. Hara, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation to join you this morning. Well, let's start with talking about our patients with type 1 diabetes. What are unique challenges for the athletic diabetic? Everyone is unique in how they respond to exercise. And it's important that type 1 diabetic athletes learn to be aware of their individual glucose response to exercise. Uh, the, the typical pattern is an initial surge in blood glucose with the onset of exercise, followed by a decline in blood glucose as exercise continues, and then a resurgence sometime after exercise ceases, and generally another drop in blood glucose overnight as the glycogen stores are being repleted. However, the timing on that varies tremendously. Some uh, athletes, at the immediate onset of exercise, um, will actually start dropping dramatically in their blood sugars. Others will go up to, you know, 300 and maybe stay there for a little bit. Um, and the same is true for after exercise. There are some diabetic athletes that as soon as they stop exercising, their blood sugar shoots sky high. And there are other ones who might be anywhere from two to six hours later that their blood sugar starts to climb. And knowing those individual patterns is crucial um, to be able to know how to time the food and the insulin doses uh, to respond to the exercise. Are there concerns medical professionals should be aware of and monitor for athletic type 1 diabetics? These are not folks who are exercising because they have diabetes. These are folks that are doing what they love in spite of it, and they tend to be very in tune to their bodies. And I think it's important for us as professionals to listen to them and to you know, hear them describe how they respond to exercise. I think um, overtraining is something that I see quite a bit in all athletes, and this population is no exception. So sometimes if um, a person is, is overtraining, you're going to see symptoms of fatigue and um, maybe poor recovery. Uh, sometimes there's just a, a, you know, chronic lethargism, and you don't always tie that to overtraining. A lot of times we just tie that to, oh, something's wrong with the blood sugar. Um, but we have to be aware of that as well. Hydration is a huge issue. Obviously, with uh, somebody with diabetes, the consequences of being dehydrated are going to be more severe. Uh, eating disorders is something to be aware of as well. It's, they're pretty prevalent with, with athletes. You get um, particularly athletes like runners who think that if they're lighter, they're going to be faster. But there are, there are a lot of eating disorders, in the, particularly in the visual sports, too, things like gymnastics and figure skating and even diving. So that, a lot of times it looks like they're being careful, but 
with diabetes, it's it's doubly dangerous when there's the ability to withhold insulin to lose weight. So I think it's important not to just look at the A1C, the average, because the average often looks beautiful. But what you're not seeing sometimes is is sort of the the restricting and the binging and and the variations that go into that. Um, so um, the other thing would be that athletes um, athletes are athletes. They have an increased need for energy and for carbohydrates in particular. And a lot of healthcare providers are still really cautious about letting people have carbohydrates. Um, with the type one diabetic athlete, you know, we need to fuel for the exercise and then adjust the insulin to match it. So again, that need for flexible treatment. Because of this, one of the things that one of the tools that's incredibly helpful for the diabetic athletes is a continuous glucose monitor. Um, and in fact, I would say most of the serious diabetic athletes that I work with have their own. They own one, and they will wear it for days on end. It helps them see the trends, and they can adjust as they go. What types of exercise regimens are considered dangerous for the patient, and how does sports nutrition play a role in overall management of the athletic diabetic? They're going to have the same um, considerations as as any other athlete as far as what's dangerous. Um, there's been a tendency to, to, you know, in the past to say, boy, you shouldn't do this if you're, if you're diabetic. But really, if they're in tight control and they're aware, they should be fine. And the reality is most of these athletes are more aware of their situation and more prepared than any other athlete out there. So, um, you know, the thing to be aware of is certainly their consequence of having a low blood sugar is going to be a little bit more severe than bonking. <laughs> So if they're, they're climbing a mountain or something, they have to be prepared. So I think, you know, I would just say whatever dangers are inherently involved in any given sport is going to be there for the diabetic athlete. But um, as far as having to avoid something because you have diabetes, I don't know that that's, that's necessary as long as you're on top of your game. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Janice Baker, and I am speaking with Sally Hara. We are discussing the relationship between exercise and diabetes. How does sports nutrition play a role in overall management of the athletic diabetic? I think where sports nutrition comes into play is that it addresses the fueling and hydration needs of the athlete. This not only helps to optimize performance, but it helps prevent injuries and unnecessary discomfort from cramping and things like that. Carbohydrate is really the preferred fuel for most types of exercise, and when an athlete runs out of carbs, he or she will bonk, and that's true for you know all athletes, no different with diabetics. It's just that with a diabetic athlete, it's going to be a more extreme um, consequence. So part of what I find is uh, a common mistake with diabetic athletes is they've been trained so much to be cautious about carbohydrates and they're so over-focused on controlling their blood sugar that they're not fueling for their performance. So they think that if they run out of gas, it's it's a blood sugar issue, when really it's the fact that they have no glycogen left or they're not eating enough to fuel it. And so being able to teach them that carbohydrates are okay and actually necessary, and then again, you know, adjusting insulin and things like that as necessary. But the reality is most of the time um, diabetic athletes are going to have a tendency to have low blood sugar rather than high blood sugar, so they need to keep fueling. Okay, let's turn our attention to our type 2 patients. What are unique challenges that need to be considered in their overall exercise regimen, and what type of exercise is best? These are the folks that 
while there are some that have always been athletic, these are more likely to be a population that is exercising because they have diabetes. And so when we initially see them, they're being encouraged to start. They're often deconditioned or overweight. Exercise is more of a chore for them than a passion. may have some limited motivation or need to start small and build up their exercise routine. Um, So for exercise lasting an hour or less, there's generally no need for additional fueling for exercise. And, you know, they they would be the folks that want to have water instead of the sports drink or a sports drink that doesn't have carbohydrates in it because we don't need to be adding to what they're doing um, for the shorter durations. The best types of exercise, it depends on what your goal is. Anything that is going to move the muscles, whether it's a cardiovascular exercise, aerobic, or even strength training or core conditioning, those are all going to help decrease insulin resistance. So they're all going to be really helpful in that. The aerobic exercise that's done for, um, depending on which research you're reading, anything from 30 minutes or greater or 60 minutes or greater several times a week is going to have the best benefit for weight management, although the current research is really showing that the interval training is the best overall for for um, insulin resistant and weight training. So how does a patient's high blood pressure, retinopathy, or neuropathy impact their ability to exercise? One of the concerns there is um, you don't want to do anything really, really intense um, to get the heart racing too fast because that can increase it. Also, some of the medications are going to limit the amount of uh, sort of the, the beats per minute, so the speed of the heart rate. And and so there are going to be limitations on that. The retinopathy and neuropathy are certainly considerations we need to look at. If somebody has retinopathy, it's important not to lift heavy things over their head or, as I like to say, anything that's going to make the, the veins in their neck kind of stand out. What it's doing is building up pressure blood pressure in their head and in their eyes, and it has more of a tendency to want to break some of those little fragile little vessels in their eyes. So that's something to stay away from if there's a tendency for retinopathy. Neuropathy, usually our concern it has to do with the, the feet. That's one of the common places we see the neuropathy. And that the thing to be really careful of there is good fitting shoes, making sure that the socks aren't don't have wrinkles and things in them because what can happen is a lot of times people will go out hiking or walking and they'll start developing blisters and not realize it because they can't feel it and then it's not until later they've got an open wound and, and it you know becomes real problematic. So making sure that you spend the you know, the time and the money to find a good pair of shoes and, and good socks that are going to work for you there. Sally, what are resources for patients with diabetes seeking to exercise or become that athlete? Probably DESA, which is Diabetes Exercise and Sport Association, that's going to be the one that's most targeted at exercise and athletes. Um, American Diabetes Association, uh, Diabetes Training Camp, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation definitely is a good resource, depending on the individual uh, communities. Two Diabetes, it's TU Diabetes, um, it's a website that has a lot of resources for athletes on there, or excuse me, for diabetics and athletes are one of the subcomponents there. Um, and then a couple of books, there's a Diabetic Athletes Handbook by Sherry Kohlberg is an excellent resource. And for type 1s, um, using a pump, Pumping Insulin by John Walsh actually has some excellent uh, chapters to do with uh, exercise and, and athletics as well. 
Well, I would like to thank our guest, certified specialist in sports dietetics and founder of Proactive Nutrition in Kirkland, Washington, Sally Hara. Ms. Hara, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. In last week's class, we talked about how diabetes affects the whole person, and we left off with an important question. Are we looking at every part of diabetes? Uh, To help us answer this question, I've invited one of my colleagues as a guest speaker, Dr. Jackie Brennan, who has been practicing endocrinology for over 25 years. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to discuss a key issue in diabetes whether or not we're looking at the whole picture. As you know, sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. Weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction are also part of the problem. Specifically, I'd like to talk about GLP-1 and how it impacts multiple systems affected by diabetes. Can anyone tell me more about it? Yes, Jamie, go ahead. GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 are critical to glucose control. Exactly. In a glucose-dependent manner, GLP-1 stimulates the beta cells in the pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibits the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. Anyone know what else it does? What about you, Sam? Yeah, doesn't it help control weight by slowing gastric emptying and inducing a feeling of satiety? Yes, and GLP-1 may also play a role in improving beta cell function, a key to slowing diabetes progression. But why is this so important? It's because at diagnosis, type 2 diabetes patients have already lost 50% of beta cell function. Well, isn't impaired GLP-1 physiology also part of the problem in diabetes? Yes, that's a great point. People with type 2 diabetes may have impaired GLP-1 activity and or impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. This could contribute to problems that develop over time. That's why the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. GLP-1 regulates blood sugar in a glucose-dependent manner, may help control weight, and may improve beta cell function. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about the latest treatment available from Novo Nordisk, please visit glp1analog.com.